Hi everyone, it's Joakim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In today's episode, I'm doing yet another Ask Me Anything session. This is the sixth one I've done this year. And in this one, we're going to be talking about questions that the listeners have been sending uh, to this questionnaire that I posted. If you want to send out your own questions by going to EliteGameDevelopers.com slash AskMeAnything. That's all written together. And then once you submit the questions, I'm going to be going through them in a future episode. I promise. But before we go to the questions and answers, here's a few words from our sponsors. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com. The first question of this episode comes from Brenton, who asks, What role do you foresee platforms like Roblox having in the future in the games industry at large, especially with all the talk surrounding the metaverse, all the concepts related to it? Like in 10 years, how much of a percentage or slice of the industry could these metaverses have? Well, thanks, Breton, for your question. First, I'd like to define my standing on what a metaverse actually is. I think there's a lot of definitions out there. Like recently, Ben Thompson, who writes this strategy newsletter, he posted about the metaverse being basically the internet uh, as a broad sense. And then there's some other people who've written about the metaverse as a concept, like you need to have a VR headset to actually like enable metaverse. Then if you read what Matthew Ball has written, he has his own concepts as well about the metaverse, talking about like how it's arriving through things like Fortnite, uh, enabling the metaverse. But like I have a few things how I'd like to spell out what defines something as a metaverse. So first off, uh, I was in the industry back 15 years ago in 2006, 2007, when the the virtual worlds of Second Life, there was there was like a big industry back then, like this electric sheep was one of the big platforms sort of enabling the virtual world, uh, like being as as a metaverse we didn't talk about the metaverse 15 years ago it was it was more virtual worlds so but back in those days all of those platforms really suffered from bad retention bad monetization everything was in their infancy uh 
regarding just distributing and getting people into these products. Um, so I think like the next thing that really ha happened big was that the free to play development started uh, about 10 years ago, uh, big time through Facebook, enabling the canvas gaming. Uh, I think that the immersion for these metaverses now doesn't really require a VR headset, or that's not a def definition. I think, like, for instance, Minecraft is unbelievably immersive if you just look at, like, how people are playing that game. Uh, it, like, but is that the metaverse? I think my next point will address this. So I believe in a metaverse being actually a hangout concept, like a virtual place where people go virtually to spend time, play games, do other social activities like watch movies or attend a rock concert. You have a virtual representation of yourself, be it an avatar or your own photo in this world. But like, since Minecraft is so scattered, there's no kind of centralized server where you could meet friends and strangers. I think the hangout factor for Minecraft is still like only like two out of five stars. Uh, what I believe is a big driving force for the metaverses, besides this hangout concept, is that you have an economy where third-party developers can build content into these metaverses. So in that sense, I think Roblox is the closest thing that we have to actual metaverse because it has that hangout ability. It has the third parties developing games, building content. So this content is not selected by the platform, like who gets to to launch content on the platform. It's people come there, they launch content and the users pick what they want to do, what content wins, what thrives. Uh, and the popularity also means that the, the content creators who are who have the most popular content will make the best business out of this. So I think this is an essential part of the metaverse for me. Uh, so in a sense, like an MMO, if you if you talk about uh, different kind of MMOs, they necessarily aren't metaverses if the content production doesn't work in a decentralized mode like Roblox has done. Uh, I think no central entity can build the content at scale that gets the best to come on top. Uh, so I, I think you need that third party openness to achieve a metaverse. So then, then to your question, Brenton, about like how big will a metaverse like chunk of the games industry become in the next five to 10 years? I think that we will see more and more interest in all of the demographics. Like if you think about now Roblox being this kind of preteen and teen product, I think the there's already community-based things on the internet, uh, which then goes back to what Tem Ben Thompson is writing about with the metaverse. Uh, I think it is there already, but uh, how it rep how it becomes this representation of uh, creating content by third parties who can then make a business out of that. I think that's where the living essence comes. And then we still need to find that hangout place where people spend. So I think the answer is that metaverses are not going anywhere.
but I don't believe the growth will be this kind of explosive hockey stick growth um, unless there is a breakthrough metaverse that becomes adopted by hundreds of millions of people in short periods of time. I think Facebook as it's as a platform 15 years ago when it started growing big worldwide that was kind of the metaverse uh, where you didn't have avatars you were hanging out on facebook you were talking to people you were posting stuff eventually they came out with the canvas uh, apps uh, which didn't actually stand the test of time uh, so facebook doesn't really have a really a proper third-party uh, exposure. They rather went for the ad network business than to facilitate the third-party developers. Even though they have still the possibility into the future, I, I think you will you will see more and more of these platforms. So I think the growth will be there, and the percentage, like Brenton, you asked. Uh, out of the games industry, the slice, I think it will grow. Uh, but I don't believe it necessarily will be like an explosive thing. But let's see what happens. The next question comes from Rian, who asks, I was curious to get your opinion about the future of publishing for mobile games. What's the added value of publishers going to look like? Well, thanks, Rian, for, for your question. What I've observed from working in the games industry for a few decades now and seeing the mobile games industry grow, there's actually a, a fairly long tail of mobile game studios. So at the, the left end of the tail, uh, uh, you have these venture-backed studios who can build their own publishing. Um, but that's just one or two percent of the entire industry. Like there's hundreds, maybe thousands of small studios out there. Uh, they're either wanting to stay independent intentionally or that they still require experience and skill to move over to become one of these venture-backable studios. I wrote an article about these B3 teams a while ago where I talk about different studios out there like you would have a team who's the venture backed studios then you have b teams who are who are figuring things out and they're you know a year away or six months away from finally unlocking uh venture backed uh, cash to fund their their business and then you have the c and d teams who are still wandering in the desert in a circle they don't really know how to ex escape uh that that circle of uh not knowing how to break through and raise money from investors. So I think hy the hyper-casual game segment uh, really invented this new model of publishing where the publisher can test hundreds of games, uh, you know, created by developers, uh, and then the testing happens through these kind of sophisticated testing pipelines and tools. Uh, like that the publisher can actually go through 100 games a month and spot the hit games through the metrics. So I think the raise, this, this rise of analytics for publishing means that the games uh, will be fully built only if the early soft launch numbers are good enough to, to make, uh, make it an effort worth 
pursuing. I think you can compare this to how Henry Ford improved the car manufacturing process in the early 20th century, where you went from a factory producing a few cars to actually like producing dozens of cars a day and eventually just, you know, making that manufacturing line uh, more automated. Uh, I think this is what the, the publishers are now been doing. Um, and now that these hyper-casual publishers are more moving into the hybrid casual, these idle, more core games, and they're taking their publishing knowledge with them, I think this is going to be even more changing the industry. So, like, maybe in five years we will see the hyper-casual publishing knowledge moving to PC gaming publishing uh continuing to evolve to the whole industry. So you asked about this added value of the publishers nowadays. Uh, I think it really depends a lot. Not every publisher will be able to help uh, every studio, uh, but also not every developer will need a publisher. Uh, and I think the ones that can and wor can work with these new models of developing quickly and testing to see the numbers will definitely benefit from from working with publishers who, do, who are doing that well. Uh, so I, I think there's a big future there still because not everybody will want to publish their own games. So it, I, I think it's, it's going to be looking even better and better for the future. The next question comes from Andy who asks, my partner and CTO and I are looking to hire senior Unity developers and we thought to start our search in Eastern Europe. I thought to ask you, if you don't mind, which countries do you recommend? Other regions can also be relevant, but we also need, need to consider the costs. Uh, so we're looking for uh, people in these more low cost regions. So thanks for your question, Andy. I, I think I've seen a lot of great developers come from all over the Eastern European region. I, I believe there's like so much untapped potential in the talent uh, in Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, Bulgaria, Romania, you name it. Like many of these countries have had big gaming clusters for ages now. Like you've had... Uh, like different big bigger publishers like Ubisoft already being present there, but then you have Playrix, Wargaming, like others building this talent in that re region. So you asked about which country to start with. I don't think uh, it pays much difference that much to, to consider countries specifically. So I would like rather suggest other criteria for picking uh, people to reach out like first uh, I, I would create this list a long list of people you want to reach out to how do you find these people so I, I think the most capable people will anyways have LinkedIn profiles so you could start looking up people who have unity in their resume who are from that region um, and go from there I think LinkedIn has brilliant searching tools so yeah, like then done. Then what you end up doing with this long list is that you start cold messaging people. Uh, 
I've done this a lot uh, recently when I'm looking for co-founders. So I, I, I would also think about reaching out to, to the investors, VC funds that operate in East, Eastern Europe because they have networks established and they definitely want to to be you know involved with with uh, game studios who are going into that region like for instance the games fund uh, Ilya Eremev who was on my podcast recently would be a great person to talk to regarding finding talent in that region so I, I think you want to get really creative on just reaching out to people and actually this next question really nicely relates to the previous one here Alex asks, finding a co-founder feels like a can of worms uh, since I haven't been in the game industry before. Do you have any ideas of where I could find people for a game co-founder role even though I don't have an industry experience? Well, thanks, Alex, for your question. I think this is really relevant. If you don't have a network in the game industry, you might feel like, yeah, I don't know anybody. How can I ever find a co-founder? So I'm going to approach this question really from that angle. So let's say you'd be looking for a, a CTO co-founder, like a chief technical officer. But if if let's say I would be in your case, I wouldn't have that established networking gaming, I would look into a few options. So first off, finding co-founders, it is actually really hard. I've done that a few times with my previous companies. Uh, I've, I've been recommending these cold LinkedIn messages uh, to people in the game industry as the way to do it. Uh, I think the place to start if if you're scouting for people for your studio is to go and talk and look at the people who are in your region where you live because that's at least a little bit more easier to to build up a network is to, to cold message people let's say i would be here in helsinki looking for co-founders we have thousands of people working in the industry in the capital area so i would just you know start putting people in a spreadsheet reaching out to them seeing you know what they're doing put like columns there name position uh, what they've done in their career their linkedin profile and then start tracking the status of you cold messaging these people over linkedin and putting putting that into the spreadsheet so that you're following a process like if i would be looking at for instance my own profile i would mention that hey you have experience from Supercell, which would be perfect for a startup. I would mention this in the message, actually, when you're reaching out with this cold message, like making it very personal will catch the recipient much better than, you know, a copy paste message that you would be sending out to everybody. That's why you want to do a personal touch with these cold messages. You're going to be more likely getting a, like a response from them where they actually think about what you're asking. So what I've noticed about the game industry that that lots of people are happy to talk about these co-founder positions, even though it's not something they're going to be doing, but they're at least going to be spending some time in their brains thinking about your question. Um, like I've, I've like done this 
few times now with some some companies that I'm working with where I'm helping them for scouting for co-founders and it seems like everybody is really happy to answer back to me and I believe that similarly would work for you as well like there is definitely a difference for companies where you already have a secured salary uh, like you have funding already when you're reaching out you can mention that I think that helps a lot, but if you don't have the funding, uh, then like it's it, it could be trickier. So if you're scouting for a co-founder, make sure to address the financial compensation in your messaging. What what would be a salary right now, and how it could develop in the near future, and what kind of equity you are thinking about sharing? Because I, I think you don't. Uh, you don't want to leave these out. Maybe you can leave them out from the first message, but I, I I would recommend that you cover these quickly as soon as possible because that's one of those uh, the easiest hooks to get people interested is like what are the long term rewards, for instance, if you come on board, and I think that's going to give you a good impression. Uh, so yeah, just you know, don't be afraid to to cold LinkedIn message people about co-founder positions, even though you don't have, you know, the credentials, you don't have the funding. It's still, people are out there looking to do studios. I think it's, it's something worthwhile trying. The next question comes from Dave, who asks, you've mentioned trying out a number of people to find the right founding team for next games. This is very relevant to me as I'm considering expanding my co-founding team currently. Could you please talk a little bit about what those tryouts looked like? Did you tell people that you were auditing them for a co-founder role before they started? Did you compensate them with stock, cash or both? And if they were compensated in stock, were they vesting into a co-founder size stake? or an early employee side stake during the trial period. What worked and what didn't? Thanks in advance. Hey, Dave, uh, thanks for brilliant questions. So, yeah, I've always been quite clear about co-founder positions up front with the candidates when I'm reaching out, since it's a very clear role with certain expectations. Um, The salary will be much lower but you will get more equity. So I think equity was always the number one option. But I always wanted people to take a salary as well. I think it was okay, uh, as long as it was just covering living expenses and not to have any extra for a few years uh, as the company was just you know getting started so that you weren't being spending your budget into like a lifestyle upgrade or something else. So I I really wanted people to understand that the salary doesn't need to be lucrative in the early days, maybe later when uh, there's revenue coming in. So I wanted to create the feeling that the the co-founders were more gunning for the long-term rewards and that taking a salary was only out of necessity. So regarding these co-founder tryouts, what I've noticed work really well is to have 
you know, dozens of meetings with an entire group of people, you know, bringing them to the to the room to discuss things through. Like you could have the people who are already on board in the room, and then the new tryout co-founders, one or two uh, in the room. Maybe one is more more better because then it's more focused on like hearing them out so the topics could range from company culture what we want to do what we don't want to do uh, it's a big help to plan these meetings share some material beforehand like books youtube videos podcast episodes like bring up certain ideas uh, like you and the co-founders and uh, the person you are trying out all reading created creativity ink uh, to get a feel uh, so if you're shuffling through new co-founders in and out of these tryouts i think it's totally fine uh, you want to bring new joiners up to speed and reevaluate core topics with the group that you've already identified so that the new joiners are up to speed so i don't I don't see tryouts being like some something like a technical test or things like that. I think it's you want to more figure out what kind of person they are regarding how they want to work, what what they like about company cultures, what what are they looking forward to, what are they not looking forward to. I would focus on that area. And for for equity, I think you want to do the vesting for uh, like this kind of like four-year vesting with one-year cliff. I've now more recommended this two-year cliff with a five-year vesting. Um, then you'd had one more year to see if people are a good fit. Uh, I think 12 months goes too quickly uh, before people get to, to actually own some of the shares that they're getting. And you want to monitor people how they work in these pre-funding stages, how they operate, when, when you go into funding and finally looking at them in the scaling stages and then that 12 months is just way too short. You want to see the 24 months vesting for that. So investors often want to start the vesting from scratch anyways. Um, so when you raise, you might end up starting again from a five years. Um, so like I would prepare to start with that five-year vesting right now uh, and then like go from there um, regarding co-founders versus this early employee stock uh, I don't think you want to have different kind of vesting for anybody uh, everybody should be vesting with the same length um, like what worked for me I think like being fair about giving out equity to people is really good uh, it creates this more like entrepreneurial feeling. So I would rather give more than less to everybody um, who is who is at that very early stage. Uh, I think it really like gives this feeling that you're you're owning a significant part of the company. That this is my company. You want people to feel that uh, as as co-founders. So uh, what didn't work really well? Um, well. Some things I've seen now with different startups, uh, like with Next Games, I think things re went really well. But if if thinking about doing the rounds early on, I think the safe notes, convertible notes are a lot better because you can still give out direct equity and you don't need to rely on stock options for founders because stock options are quite expensive 
tax-wise, especially in Europe and in Finland, especially where you get taxed heavily when you get stock options, uh, when you're exercising the options, when you're bringing in uh, some profits from the options versus with, with actual equity where you own percentage of the company directly, you only pay when you cash out in an exit in the, in the far future. So I would make sure that the people who will contribute most to the success to the company in the three, five, seven years, 10 years in the company, they should have a significant stake in the company. Like that's a lens you want to evaluate people through. And now for the final question of this episode, which is a really nice one. So this question comes from Michael. I'm curious, what do you think about the NFT space? Well, thanks for asking this question. Uh, I think like I would answer probably very differently in a year's time because the industry is moving so rapidly. So this is more like my perspective at the end of 2021. Uh, and I will try to give my answer from two perspectives. Uh, first, what I think of the market of NFTs at this moment, and what I think about investing in crypto and gaming. First, I think that we are so early in this market, a group of people are spending more and more of their time and money in different ways than how they did. This is just, you know, an observation regarding like the consumer behavior that has changed in the last two or three years. Uh, you got the Wall Street bets thing happening, the meme stock boom. Uh, it, it really had this visible difference in what people were doing with their spare time. <laughs> it was like uh, suddenly they figured out that, oh yeah, there's this thing called uh, stock that you can start, you know, doing weird stuff with talking on Reddit. Uh, so I, I think this is a, a driving factor that has also contributed to, to the NFTs. Um, there's like this very interesting site called Crypto Slam, uh, which you can go to at cryptoslam.io which lists the volume of trade that's going on with these nft services like xc sandbox uh, nba top shots all of them uh i when you're looking at this like the the craze really started in early 2021 like february when nba top shots hit the the top uh of its peak uh i, I there's there's been a bunch of different NFT services which have tens of thousands of unique users, maybe hundreds or millions making transactions. Uh, the more I've spent time looking at this space, uh, mainly during this year of 2021, the more I feel that the, the speculative buying going on and the sustain, sustainability of this business uh, is something that can can't be figured out yet, uh, unfortunately. So, it it's looking like it's not going to go anywhere. NFTs are here to stay, but what will a sustainable business around NFTs look like is still something I don't know. Uh, if if you think about the web based businesses that retain users, that 
want to grow LTV, like customer lifetime value. I don't see how the users who are speculating in NFT will act in the long term. Like, is there an LTV for these users? Uh, I think there is, but like how predictable it is when you compare it to something like uh, like a Candy Crush game, for instance, like how, how an LTV of a match tree player evolves over time. So, because now it's like millions of people have pumped real money into NFTs, so it's it's a bit like all, all of a sudden something like big happened. So, and we don't know where it's going. So, but like I think one thing for sure is that the the valuation of these NFT services will evolve as they're learning better how to go after and how to thrive as businesses. Uh, I like to think of NFTs like this used car market this was something that uh one of my buddies at play ventures anton uh coined uh this used car market uh in a market where like nfts don't really like experience wear and tear uh to these assets like cars do uh and when there's better nfts coming to the market people will jump on the better nfts and the cars, like the used cars, will go down in value. I think the similar thing will happen with NFTs. So what is a better NFT? Like something that has more utility, more functionality, more pleasure, uh, but also tied with the scarcity, like equivalent of a Ferrari (laughs) of NFTs. So I'm looking forward to watching these new NFT services come up and iterate how how we can have more value tied to an nft i'm just looking around what i what i personally consume every day like i'm watching movies documentaries streaming those i'm reading i'm I'm basically moved all my reading to kindle Uh, i'm still reading a lot of audiobooks as well uh, as well as uh, having it on the kindle at the same time i'm uh, listening to podcasts like all of these could be nfts I, i'm like if somebody would do a startup with uh, nft bookstore that would be really awesome to have the scarcity everything tied into that uh, so like a competitor for amazon with the ebooks uh, on nft would be awesome so i think now is the time to to talk a bit more about like the investors who are putting money into nfts and like I'm also of course looking at that as as an investor like there are gaming crypto companies coming to me every day um, and it's definitely interesting uh, there's so much happening but like I think there's two components there for venture capital investing that I want to highlight so first off you have the the LPs the limited partners they're the ones who are putting money into the VC funds it's institutions, wealthy people, family offices. They're they're seeing things developing in the crypto space, but they aren't crypto specialists. So these LPs go out and find the VCs, the money managers who are knowledgeable on crypto, who've spent time on crypto, who've looked at it, who've allocated already money, who've seen uh, things develop. Uh, so 
the LPs will give you give the VCs the money because they're better at doing the crypto investing. I, I think like NFTs are not gonna go go anywhere. Crypto in gaming is not gonna go anywhere. It's here to stay. There's gonna be better use cases, better things coming up, uh, and I'm I'm just hoping that we you know land more on these better NFTs, better blockchain gaming things. Like what is the actual game that 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 is underlying there? If you're looking at gaming and crypto, um, but yeah, I, I believe that by the end of 2022, uh, I think investors will be looking for more of these sustainable uh, numbers. Uh, so I, I think the maturity will kick in the next 12 months. Uh, and also the limited partners will become more sophisticated about like where their money managers are putting their crypto bets. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an awesome time for sure. All right. Thanks everybody for listening to this ask me anything uh, questions and answers so if you want to post a question please go to elitegamedevelopers.com slash ask me anything and i'll get your question answered sooner or later thanks everybody see you next time bye bye <laughs>